Welcome back to another episode of Red Tinted Glasses and I suppose we should start with where Lee Sharp should have started his interview by apologising in case this podcast isn't up to standard and probably apologise because it could contain some very strong language throughout but if you don't like the episode I'm just going to say it's just one of those podcasts because I guess the performance on Saturday was just one of those nights eh Callum? Oh God, it was awful and I'm still quite upset about it. Tried not to let it ruin my day uh, on Saturday. Went back to Caitlin's and Kirkcaldy, did some arts and crafts to cheer me up. It was quite soothing, but uh, I've got a feeling this isn't going to be quite so soothing. Maybe you say that, but sometimes it tends to, during the recording or certainly when we've finished it, mm. we do find it a bit therapeutic. So if you're not quite over um, the weekend, maybe this will help you get over what was very much a Halloween horror at Tannadice. Mm. I told you I'm not done with those Halloween puns through the month of October. Um, Callum, everything that could go wrong seemed to go wrong, but in general, I know obviously there was a train strike and you drove. What did you make of the 6pm kickoff time and the atmosphere that was provided? Because 6pm kickoffs in Aberdeen, in Dundee, just don't mm. seem to go just now. Yeah, it was good until about 6.30, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Around about then. I thought, you know, the fans were in good voice, as you expect them to be. Um, I, just that's despite the team not giving them too much to shout about. I felt it worked quite well. Uh, got to Dundee at about four o'clock, was out of there by half past eight. Um, well, actually home at half past eight. Um, but I, I feel like it, it did work to, to a degree. It's just a shame the, the team didn't turn up at six o'clock that's that's the only real problem but I don't know you know that's obviously not got anything to do with it but for the fans I think it was good and um, most of them probably can't remember too much about the game so probably I guess a that's a thing. bonus yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and you know we discussed last week um about we had a positive selection pro- problem ahead of this game and who would start with Liam Scales being able to return from his suspension I put my case forward for Marley Watkins. You put your case for Matty Kennedy. I wish Jim Goodwin didn't listen to my case because Marley Watkins really didn't help his case for further selection in, in upcoming games. What did you make of the, the team and, and how we started the game? I was, I was quite happy. I was happy to see McCrory back into midfield. Anyway, for a start, I mm. I did expect Kennedy to probably keep his place maybe uh, over Marley Watkins, but uh, not not the case. And to be fair, either or probably wouldn't have made too much of a difference. I know you had a problem with how much uh, Watkins was, or the lack of Watkins' help um, for, for Jaden Richardson defensive, defensively, yeah. which you probably wouldn't expect from Marley Watkins. He is usually slightly better on that side of things, but I, I was relatively, relatively happy with the team selection and Although we didn't start absolutely fantastically, I mean, Jamie McGrath probably could have scored inside sort of five to ten minutes as well, mm. uh, putting a header just wide. I, I don't think we started too bad. And I thought, if we can get in at half-time, things will be okay. You know, we'll, we'll get a lot of half-time team talk, attack in the shed uh, in the second half. I, I mean, we've got a chance. We didn't make it that far. No, and well, you you were definitely confident pretty much. Um, for those that follow you on, on Twitter, um, just need to take a look at some of your pre-match tweets. The Dundee United fans were certainly reveling in that. And yeah, I think I've certainly learned my lesson to keep my mouth shut on social media until full time because things can very quickly come back to bite you, can't they, Callum? Absolutely. And talking of biting, I think you just heard uh, 
a dog in the background, perhaps or a dog sitting. So I apologise if that does interrupt the show. But um, yeah, I felt um, I should keep it up, keep the post up. It was clearly a mistake, uh, autocorrect, of course. <laughs> um, but I felt Dundee United fans maybe deserved um, a little bit of something to um, cheer them up slightly. You know, they've not had too much. We've handed them a 4 0 win. It's all been great. But I thought, you know, there's a chance it's perfect. It could be great. A chance for one of them to score in front of the shed, become a cult hero forevermore. Um, however, pretty much I did also allude to the fact that this could all be set up for disappointment, and that is exactly what happened. But um, I'll keep my pre-match tweets maybe a little bit more to myself in future in case uh, that that was on me. Yeah, uh, I think, you know, just one of those inevitability about Aberdeen, um, a winnable game with the greatest respect to Dungeon United pre-match, um, that is. Big crowd, expectation, atmosphere. It's all just set up for us to fall flat on our face. We do it We do it every time. Um, I don't know why we get our, our, our hopes so high for, for something like this. But, you know, we did start the game reasonably well. You allude to the chance that Jamie McGrath had in the kind of early parts of the game, which I think, you know, we probably should have done better with, at least getting it on target. But... At least getting it on target is what Boyan Miofsky should have done. Um, great work from Jaden Richardson going forward. We'll come on to his defensive work in a while. But, you know, Boyan Miofsky is the least of our concerns um, after the weekend result. But his is this going to be something that we're speaking about constantly? The fact that he is still not scored away from home because that chance looked harder to miss than than score oh, fuck me it was awful I mean they did have a great view at the time I thought it was maybe a little bit more behind him than in in reality it was you know it's not right on his feet it's, it's not ideal but take that first time I think having watched the replay it looks like clearly like he's trying to take a touch to set himself but when he's got an open goal so much of it to aim at basically if he makes any contact at all very very good chance it hits the back of the net it was on a it was on a plate for him, and I don't know what he's thinking. I think he maybe thought about it too much. Perhaps I think it was like trying to back heel it into the net, like a fancy little flip. Yeah, it was almost like he had that much time. He just didn't know what to do. Similar to the 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 Motherwell chance, which mm-hmm. he he put over the bar. It's almost yeah, too much time. Doesn't know what to do, and yeah, you're totally right. If it just hits him, it, mm-hmm. it goes in and. <laughs> Yeah, I think from for those that were certainly in the shed, um, maybe lower down, I don't know for those that were higher up had a better view, but I thought it was certainly behind him. But yeah, the the replay on on sports scenes very galling, and I just, I just still don't know how he's how he's managed to miss it completely. I know. Uh, shout out sports scene by the way, uh, barely managing to pull together a highlights package, um, so that was fantastic. I know it was a bit more difficult with the kickoff, but come on, you, you knew what was going to happen. Get it together, um. I know I do enjoy that about sports scene for these late kickoffs and obviously the game being subjected to the end of sports scene. But the, the the fact that with the game not kicking off till 6pm and sports scene starting at half seven, they really have to scramble something together. Well, they had 45 minutes an hour prior. The editing team, come on, do a bit better. But talking about doing a bit better, that sort of set the precedent, I think, for um, not only Aberdeen, but Boy Amiofsky, that whole game. There's no mm. doubt about it that he should have scored. And I know he scores goals for us at home. And he'll probably go on to do it this weekend. But come on, a, a chance like that at Tanadice, given the form they'd been on, we score early, th- their heads are down absolutely immediately. The crowd 
well, they they were barely up for it even once they scored the second goal. Mm. It it was very very poor, and it, it's a totally different game. I do agree with Lee Sharp in that case. Uh, it's a different game if he scores that, but my God, it was absolutely awful, and it didn't get much better. No, it really it really didn't. And you know, other than that ch- chance, if we want to call it that, in the first half, I, I don't really remember us creating anything of significance and for me that was the the most worrying part of that first half against a team at home that haven't you know won a game at home only scored one goal at home as well you know confidence is low you know you rightly say there had that gone in the back of the net who knows you know the crowd have probably gone oh here we go again our crowd was already in very good fettle that would have you know excelled that even further it, it just kind of set the tone for our forward play throughout that 90 minutes. Well, or however long those of you tuning in lasted during the game on Saturday. Yeah, our lack of forward play, uh, yeah. you might say. There, there, he had another chance where he sort of didn't connect properly with the header and headed it wide. I don't you remember that. And But he should also be hitting the, the target there. It, it was awful. I mean, Johnny Hayes said post-match, pre-match, they tried to, they discussed in training, worked on training, working the ball quickly from side to side um, because Dundee United defend very narrow. We saw little to none of that in the first half. It was very slow and laboured, creating, mm-hmm. as you say, very few chances, uh, half chances even. And it was absolutely appalling. But I suppose on Johnny Hayes, I've watched his pre-match, post-match interview. I know you hadn't. Um, he looked absolutely ejected and rightly so. I do think it was interesting that he was doing the interviews, describing it as embarrassing, same with like the fans down, rather than Capitano, Anthony Stewart. Yeah, I don't know how it gets gets chosen who does the interviews, and I suppose on the interviews as well, Lee Sharp's interview, um, we spoke about this pre-recording, um, you know, you want to, you made a kind of good point about that, hindsight's a wonderful thing, and heat of the moment, when you come out and lose 4-0, calling it one of those nights is not really what the Aberdeen fans want to hear. It's maybe acceptable um, for St Mirren fans or fans of other you know teams he's been in charge of with along with Jim Goodwin, but it, it's not the sort of thing. And on the sports scene interview for him to take three minutes to even offer up an apology to the 4,000 fans that travelled for me is is a disgrace in itself. And the fact that when Tyrone posed the question about the travelling support, you know, again, he wanted to re-emphasise the fact that it was just one of those nights and that the performance wasn't good enough. Tyrone gave him the opportunity to, you know, start that answer with an apology. And it seemed that it was almost an afterthought. Uh, and interestingly as well, it was noted on on social media by uh, Martin Stone, I think it was, that um, said Sport Sound. And um, for those that were maybe um, traveling to the game by car and had it um, on, Sport Sound actually gave Jim Goodwin half an hour to come out in front up to the uh, media because, as part of his touchline ban, which we'll come on to a little bit later on in this episode, he is not allowed to address the media for um, thirty minutes after the game. Um, but despite that. Um, Jim Goodwin still didn't come forward to face up to the media uh, and left that to Lee Sharp. So both Goodwin and Stewart not going out to answer the questions and maybe still surprising that 
some I know some people have said on social media as well that still in the aftermath, because we could have done an interview on Sunday or Monday, we still haven't heard fr- from Jim Goodwin. And another point that really irked me, and again, probably not the wisest thing to do listening to this at full time, was that Lee Sharp said, we'll just pick up on this on Monday. After seeing that level of performance, you know, they're getting a day off as well. But again, it's probably that, you know, knee-jerk reaction to listening to that full time. Possibly. Uh, I'd be definitely more annoyed about them getting a day off if the game was on Saturday, but I suppose given the game on Sunday, maybe a little bit of rest time before... The game was on Saturday? But... No, I'm saying... Oh, sorry. Game. Come on. Sorry, yeah, sorry. Schroeder, Jesus. Um, <laughs> then uh, maybe, but, you know, he, he apologised to the fans and Johnny Hayes said it was a disgrace or whatever. We lost 4-0 to Dundee United, who bought in the league, hadn't won a game. Nothing mentioned about a refund. And I know it's sort of a knee-jerk <laughs> thing completely, understandably. But if they're not going to offer it then at any point, say you could offer it, people want to claim it, fine. If you're not going to offer it then, will they ever? Because that was absolutely pathetic. 4,000 people coming from, well, obviously I travelled north for it, but m- most people coming down from Aberdeen, um, definitely not a cheap day. I think feel that's the least they could do, uh, at least offer the refund or offer some sort of um, reimbursement regardless. Um, it, it, it was very, very poor. I don't know whether Jim Goodwin maybe spent a lot of that time absolutely rollicking the uh, the team. I don't know. I can't imagine that was a happy place. But I think his pre-match interview uh, ahead of the game at his hearts will be very, very interesting because I'm sure a lot of the questions will be about the previous weekend rather than looking forward. Well, I'm more interested to see who gets fronted up to do that that post uh, pre-match uh, interview against Hearts. Will it be Jim Goodwin or will he shy away from that and, and put Lee uh, in front of the cameras again? And if it is going to be Lee Sharp, I, I really hope that um, Lisa, Malcolm and Zoe are spending a lot of time with him this week to give him some form of media training because smirking through an interview after your team's lost 4-0 is really not what fans want to see. It, it really doesn't help. No, not at all. I mean, initially, um, I decided not to bother with the four minutes and as soon as he said uh, it was one of those nights I just turned it off. I thought, there's no, there's no point in winding myself up even more about this. But I watched it back. I don't think it was as bad as maybe it seemed at the time, admittedly. Um, it wasn't totally horrendous, but there's just a few things that clearly he's not a man that's used to being uh, in sort of in front of the cameras. Uh, yeah. I don't want to make excuses for him because still, apologise immediately. Thank the 4,000 that made the journey. God above. Yeah, thank them and apologise to them for what we had to, to witness. And yeah. I suppose really, we'll get into it, the the first goal. Um, I mean, we've been vulnerable at set pieces. You know, you look at the way we conceded from a throw-in against Ross County. Um, I thought we'd have learned our mistake. Uh, you picked up on something after the goal went in, but it's a throw-in that does us again for the opening goal. And, you know, fuck me... It's just, it's almost schoolboy, actually, although that might be harsh on school kids because the level of defending from a good two or three players is just criminally poor. You know, Hayden Coulson, the man, I think it's Craig Sybil, turns him like he wasn't even there. And I know, you know, there's been a couple of comments about the fact that, that Hayden was already on a booking, so it's difficult for him to you know go in and, and make a challenge but I, I almost think he gets a bit too tight that that Craig Sibold can turn him too easy if he just you know just steps off him a little bit and makes it a little bit more difficult for, for Craig Sibold to turn I don't actually know what Ramadani's doing 
in there. Um, just running alongside Craig Sibold and watching him pass the ball. Uh, and then I, I'm not I'm not sure who gets the first shot away. Is it Tony Watt that gets like the Tony shot Watt, away? Tony Watt, and then he basically picks up the ball for a second goal from the exact same point as well. So we didn't learn. Yeah, but I mean, you know, credit Kel Rose because it was a good save from the initial shot. And then, you know, Bebic is in acres of space to, to put in the rebound. It's just all over the place. And yeah, Anthony Stewart's going crazy and, and mm. you managed to, to pick up what he said. So I'll, I'll let you pick up. Yeah, uh, expert in lip reading. Uh, thankfully, it wasn't too far away either. So sort of heard it. Uh, it's a fucking throwing again, is essentially what he said. Uh, something along those lines. Um, which is fair enough. Yeah, it's a throwing again. It wasn't dealt with properly. But at the same time, he's the captain, centre defender, experienced. He should be partial in, in organising that. Of course, other players have their own responsibility. Um, I think it was actually a foul throw to start with, but that's sort of a moot point regardless of the way how we dealt with it. Um, yeah, Hayden Coulson got absolutely done for it. Then Ramadani was sort of standing off him, didn't really you know, know what he was doing, didn't even close the angle properly for the cutback uh, either. So McGrath had, McGrath had such an easy pick out uh, for the ball. Then, you know, you've got Jaden Richardson with on the line, so I can kind of see what he's trying to do there to block the mm. shot, but at the same time, probably more ideal trying to get out to uh, Betch. Regardless, Marley Watkins is slightly further up the park, picking up absolutely nobody. So yeah. he could have helped out his right back there. And yeah, I mean, a good finish in fairness from him, but it was just an absolute calamity. Um, just a, a lot of individual errors that culminate in an absolute atrocity of a goal. And I just think I can understand Stuart being angry. It's a throw-in. People do need to have their own responsibility. But at the same time, Set up, get organised. And uh, that was the goal that just prior, Johnny Hayes had spent about 30 seconds dicking about in the corner as well. And then he yeah. was yelling about something afterwards as well when he had the chance to just play it and get rid of it first time, probably higher up the park uh, in the first place. So, uh, and yeah, I think harsh on school kids to go back to your previous point. <laughs> but it just sums up, you know, uh, the points you've just made there just sums up that we've just not learned and again kind of goes back to the point about how I thought that Marla Watkins wasn't really kind of helping out too much defensively uh, we'll come on to it more a little bit later on but obviously there's been a lot of criticism of Jaden Richardson down that right hand side but that goal on the first goal and then the second goal which we'll, we'll come on to has come down the left hand side um, on Saturday so there's maybe work to be done on both sides but just as well, Jim Goodwin said fixing the defence was going to be the easy task because these sound bites are really coming back to bite him in the arse. Big time, especially since at home we're seeing to be scoring goals largely for fun uh, anyway. And I mean, we're still conceding there. And then we go and deliver a performance like that. Um, 4-0, I mean, in other games against Celtic, didn't come ourselves in glory, didn't come ourselves in glory against Motherwell at home. And... Um, Absolutely shambolic. But no, for, for once I thought, well, Richardson maybe didn't have his best game, but defensively I thought he was maybe slightly better despite the whole lot being maybe at sixes and sevens. Quite a, quite a lot of it. I think that's largely due to the fact that nothing was directly his fault, um, I, I feel. Whereas on the left-hand side, I'm sorry, Steve, Hayden should have done a, a little bit better. I know he was on a yellow card and uh, maybe he didn't want to you know, risk fouling, especially in the box. But I had to do better with that one and certainly the second as well. 
Yeah, I don't know whether Jaden did do well defensively. I thought he was very lethargic in terms I of his track. Okay. I thought he did okay. Yeah, but I mean, okay is not is okay good enough for us this season? Okay, okay in comparison to what he usually does and the rest of them. The, 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 I'll say that much. Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of people in the comments or over on on YouTube. Uh, I know there's a couple of you that have really got your doubts on some of the the signings that we made in the summer, and and this has kind of highlighted maybe the issues and doubts that those of you that did have the reservations about some of the signings have really been heightened on the back of this performance. You know, the Motherwell game, I suppose the way we fought back, um, okay, we ended up losing in quite comical fashion, you could say was a bump in the road. Similarly, Ross County uh, was more of a frustration rather than a, a blip for me, but this is just a culmination of maybe something that has been quite coming. Um and yeah, there's it's not really defendable for me um as a as a blip in the road or as part of this let the team gel, etc. nonsense that people want to to wield out. It's just highly unacceptable level of performance. Mm-hmm. You know, a few people have said either via WhatsApp to me in person, I've seen it on social media as well that the manner of that performance and result could quite easily have been a sackable offence based on what we've seen so far yeah. um, in time. And, you know, we're in quite severe risk given mm. who we've still to play away from home this month. And then again in December, um, which is St Mirren and Kilmarnock, we're very much in risk of going the full calendar year with only away wins at McDermott Park and Almondvale, it's it's pretty pretty grim reading away from home. It absolutely is, um, and that was partly the reason why I thought. Although I was like, my heart was saying that oh, this could be potentially great. My head was saying this is probably more likely going to be a disaster in front of a big away crowd. I don't know what it is. There doesn't seem to be any reason for it. I mean, I know. <laughs> The expectation, I suppose, of those fans in the ground or whatever, they shouldn't make play an effort, make an effort, uh, make a difference to the mentality of the players or whatever. In fact, a few of them said pre-match feels a bit more like a home game. Yeah, brilliant at home. Really? So why, why, why did that make a difference? It's a big concern, and it wasn't even the performance for me. I mean, at, at times we created chances. I think there's four sort of chances where each of them could have definitely taken it. Uh, the Vinny mm. header in the second half as well, which he barely connected with. But a lot of it was the effort. Like, mm. United, bottom of the league, and I know they're probably, they were probably like, oh, we've got a chance here at Aberdeen, they've got a big away crowd, the, the pressure. But they were bottom of the league. Every second ball, though, they were at. Every 50-50, they won. Every lost cause, they were after. And I know players were like, oh, you know they won't be criticised for their effort by by certainly the the the, uh, the staff at the club or whatever, but to me it looked like United simply wanted it more, and that is totally unacceptable. If we want to be where Jim Goodwin's aiming for and where a lot of the fans are hoping for by the end of the season, yeah, I'm going to pick up on that point just now before we go into the second the the second goal because it is a really good point and why I think there is so much seed. Um, I know Fraser Wallace will like the use of that word um, around the result because we did just look lethargic all over. Jaden Richardson, Vinnie Bazawin, to me were the two standouts that just at times in the second half I felt just, they just looked like they couldn't be arsed either tracking back or when they gave up the ball their heads were immediately down. 
not wanting to burst a gut and get back. It was simply unacceptable. There was players on there that did not play for the shirt. The standard that we expect as fans felt simply below. People will think, you know, we're maybe being dramatic here, but when you see, well, yeah, probably you're right. But um, when you see the effort, as you rightly say, that Dungeon United put in, to get to every second ball, to to show that fight and determination that they wanted that three points. We just weren't at the races and that's just simply unacceptable. And, you know, there's a lot of debate going on about the, the pressure that Jim Goodwin is under. We kind of made that point that October is a, is a crucial month. Probably fair to say that the expectation on the opening two games of the month should have been six from six. Is that fair to say, Callum? Expectation, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Kilmarnock at home, thankfully we got through that quite well. Uh, we looked pretty good. However, now in hindsight, given the way we played against Dungeon United, it's, it's some of the points we've got. It's not through, like, us being absolutely brilliant. It's maybe just through other teams, unfortunately, not being very good for them, uh, mm-hmm. which, which isn't great. But you would expect six, would have expected six from six uh, from the opening two. Um, alas, yeah. here we are. Exactly, and you know, it, it now puts the the pressure on the game coming up this weekend against Hearts. And I know you've got a really good point to make on, on that as well. But you know, there's been a lot of like tweets going out, and one that I picked up on um, was the fact that you know, in 22 games under Jim Goodwin, um, we've conceded 29 goals in the same amount of time under Stephen Glass. We conceded just the 27 goals. Again, higher gym, that defence was easy to fix. Now, I know someone picked up on the point that that stat is slightly obscured by the fact that Jim Goodwin did have to play some of those games with um, Stephen Glass's players, obviously not the squad that he wanted. But he has now had nine games this season with nine league games, that is with the players that he wanted at the club, with a chance to transform things, with a defence that he said would be the easy thing to fix. Now, on that point as well, we were going into this game against a Dundee United side managed by Liam Fox, who has inherited a squad that he has no say on, given that it was players fully signed by Jack Ross. So he's had no time to implement his own style, his own players, and has basically just inherited that squad, yet still thoroughly outplayed, outfought and outthought us. And that for me as well goes back to the point about being unacceptable. Yeah, I 100% agree. I mean, I know they obviously are still bottom of the league for context, so don't think we're you know getting too carried away. But regardless, yeah. on the base of that one performance, yeah, it's, it's a team of players who, okay, Maybe they're playing with a bit of a point to prove under the new manager or whatever. But at the same time, it's not players that he's picked at all. And um, whereas Jim Goodwin, you know, what was it, eleven new signings in summer? Of course, you know, some of them weren't available um, f- for the game. You know, Callum Roberts and um, Leighton Clarkson just coming back and things like that. But it is it is worrying, and to me, it's not about the quality. You know what? Boyamiovsky is capable of on his day. We've seen it. But it's the effort of some of them. And maybe the mentality in terms of a big game like that. You know, you mentioned Basawan um, and Jaden Richardson sort of shirking away from things at times. Absolutely. I mean, Anthony Stewart, the captain, 
not facing the media or whatever. I mean, I, I know it's maybe delegated randomly or whatever, or take it game by game. But, mm-hmm. you know, there's certainly some leaders in the past thinking about Graham Shinney or someone like that, who would we say, no, you know what, it's me. I'm the captain. I'll take it on the chin like that. Um, it's just, some of it's just totally not good enough. And it, it, it is a concern. Um, uh, we'll yeah, see. I mean, even, you know, even as well, Boyan as well, Again, you know, as we said, he's the least of our concern in terms of the fact that he's scoring goals. But it doesn't mean he's undroppable when he's not doing anything in the game. Because other than those chances in the first half, and he had half a chance in the second half that, you know, I think United defended really well by the time Boyan took it under control and tried to get a shot away. The defender got back to block. But I, I didn't feel he was ever in the game. You know, the fans were chanting for, for Ramirez once Duke was on. But... Bringing Ramirez on with six minutes to go when you're already 4-0 down is highly ineffective. If if someone up front is not working, you've got proven goal scorer on the bench. You've also got Duke, who's explosive. Players shouldn't be seen as undroppable. Mm. And, you know, I think some people do have that feeling around uh, Vicente as well, around his starting place. And I think, you know, I made the point on the way home as well that had he not scored um, against Kilmarnock um, previously, I wonder if his place would have been under more serious threat um, going into this game as well. And it, it is just concerning that there maybe is players in that team that are, you know, not under threat of losing that place in the starting 11. But I would like to think that after what we saw this weekend, we will see a good couple of changes going into this weekend's game against Hearts. You'd think so. I mean, certainly on Miofsky, the ball... You know, a lot of it depends on his movement and things like that. And yeah. the ability to get in behind when they're playing um, narrow and structured, it, it's difficult, admittedly. But when it's not working for him, we're just lumping the ball up to him. He's obviously not a target man. You know, he's six foot odd plus or whatever. But when you've got Ryan Edwards at the back of him or, or whoever else, it's not, it's not going to happen. But he's also not a target man because he's got nobody in behind him to, yeah. to play off of him. Yeah. It, it, it just doesn't doesn't work. So you've then got to go and bring somebody else yeah. on. And then you've got Ramirez coming on with six minutes to go. At that point, honestly, what is the point? That is, it, uh, you know, He's been criticised, rightly so, for various reasons um, at times. However, you know, he still scored a lot of goals for us last season. You're bringing him on, and that's with limited service, by the way. You're yeah. bringing him on with six minutes to go. What is the point? It, it's insulting to him almost uh, at that point. Yeah, um, uh, yeah, I agree. But I suppose we'll get back and unfortunately have to, to review the second goal. We have to. Um, yeah, well, we've digressed loads, but there's lots to dis- dissect and, and pick the bones out of. But that second goal is, once again, calamitous defensively. I'm, I'm sure... I mean, again, you, you spoke about the way sports seem pulled together, the, the highlights, but I'm sure for the life of me that the goal started by Vicente attempting a cross into the box that was just absolutely terrible that led to United breaking. And I think Hayden's, you know, kind of pushed up the pitch so United have got space in behind the left. And it was kind of the point you made about, you know, United defending narrowly. We did push the fullbacks, you know, like quite high, Every time we took the ball out wide, we just cut inside instead of just trying to feed the ball into the box. We once again tried to do too much with it. And it was probably down to that that United took advantage and, and broke with 
with really quick pace, yeah. which Liam Scales was strangely lacking in, in this instance. And yeah, a lot of question marks around Keller Rose for the, the way the ball flew past him. But for me, I think we've got to be looking at how we defended the, the build-up to that yeah. because Keller Rose is probably expecting Tony Watt to go across him. You know, credit to Tony. That's a brilliant finishing at the top corner. Pace, power, hitting it first time as well. Who'd have knew that, could, that would work? Jaden Richardson, come back to that later. But um, yeah, just again, from an Aberdeen point of view as well, so close to halftime. I think, you know, you made the point earlier in the show about, you know, seeing it through to halftime, getting getting in, getting out the players, you know, before we then mm-hmm. attack the shed. But 2-0 just saps all confidence out the away end. At that point, I thought, well, if we score two, uh, you know, right, the point isn't what I wanted, but I'll take it. Mm-hmm. I just had no faith from what I'd seen that we were ever scoring three to win that game. Um, a couple of things, not to digress too much. You mentioned being narrow. Even when he changed to the five, the wing-backs being our wide players, they're both coming inside, Hayes and, and Richardson. Mm-hmm. Bizarre. Um, mentioned no faith in us coming back. I said the exact same at halftime. I was like, oh, it's possible. But I feel like teams do it. I don't know who. Teams do it, but Aberdeen never do it. Come back yeah. in 2-2. Yeah. You see all these brilliant stories passed over social media where about teams coming back miraculously. How does that even happen? Because we never get it. Yeah. Regardless. Yeah, the ball's played. I mean, Tony Watt is absolutely sprinting to get on the end of it to start with. Um, mm-hmm. Scales, I don't know whether he thinks he's got too much time or he's really that slow. Looks like he's running in treacle. Mm-hmm. Rose comes out, and um, rightly so, clears it. Didn't do the best job of it. Would rather he just booted it straight out. Obviously, didn't manage to get the right connection, but dealt with it for the time being. That's okay. He gets back in position. <sighs> then going down the right hand side, Colson didn't cover himself in glory once again. I do understand that he couldn't go in firm as much as I'd have liked him to because he's on the yellow card. And I think he got done a little bit. And then Basawin's late to come over and help and makes a last stitch attempt at the block. Anthony Stewart and Liam Scales then in the box. Neither of them tight enough to, you know, intercept the ball to Tony mm. Watt, but neither of them back enough off to sort of get a reasonable angle for the block either. So he just has a perfect sweeping finish into the goal. Took it very, very well. As much as I don't want to give credit to Tony Watt, Twitch streamer, he did well, okay? But he was made very, very easy by all of those reasons we've just listed prior and I don't think Rose stood much chance when it's hit from that distance and um, but he Tony Watt hit it from this exact same spot almost the same blade of grass as they said on sports scene that the chance came from in the first goal mm-hmm. didn't learn our lesson whatsoever pathetic a lot of them charlatans yeah I like your use of the word there you used that a lot the weekend but you know 2-0 down at half time I was the exact same as you, had no faith in us coming back because of what we'd seen in that first 45, was hoping there would be at least a couple of changes um, at halftime to try and re-energise the crowd more than anything because it it was very flat, I think it's fair to say, at the start of the second half. Um, The one change that Goodwin, I'm I'm guessing, has still got a say in changes that can be made despite his ban. Um, saw Connor Barron coming on for his first appearance of well competitive action this season mm. um, in place of Marley Watkins as I said who in my opinion was largely in a, ineffective in that yeah. first period what did you make of that change because I, I thought it was a strange one you know taking 
an option like Marley Watkins off. You know, obviously he was being played as a winger and Connor Barron was that holding midfielder. It, it seemed a strange substitution, but it did it did work. Yeah. To an extent. To an extent. <laughs> uh, we sort of went a slightly more narrower, uh, which was <laughs> bizarre. Um, to be honest, I thought perhaps we could even do Messina with Duke at half time, perhaps, yeah. you know, Colson coming off, he was on the yellow card, clearly not able to, you know, um, sort of be as firm as he'd have liked. And it and it did cost us, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, Steve, once again, not digging him out, just have to do it. Um, and I think, though, though, you know, you know, people are maybe critical of the, the goals coming down that left hand side from this weekend. But, you know, this maybe was a, a poor game from Hayden, but he's but been from 10 others as well yeah from 10 others as well but for people wanting to single him out um you know he's been very much one of our better players this season in terms of the defensive unit so i think on this occasion we can afford him that that poor game i think um, so you're just trying to keep steve on side though aren't you yeah um, but we and know to be that. fair certainly wasn't helped out by ramadani and basalwin in close uh close distance for both the goals but regardless I thought maybe could have taken him off Hayes to left back and someone else who's able to put in a firm challenge uh, rather than you know Coulson who's on a yellow card Barron came on was effective I would have liked to have seen Duke at the same time as well but you mentioned Goodwin having a say on the substitutions what happened to the times when people were sent to the stand but they were able to sort of have an earpiece or whatever I don't know whether that's maybe not allowed now or whatever but could have been doing with it. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. I'm not not too sure because I didn't understand. I I also agree. I was expecting to see Duke at half time as well, um, and, and then even this substitution when Coulson does come off for Leighton Clark. Well, I think he comes off for Duke, and uh, Leighton comes on for um, Vinny, both on about ten minutes into the second half. Mm. So we've already wasted ten minutes of being again, continuously, largely ineffective. Very. Um, we've wasted time in a game that we're already chasing mm-hmm. and we then do look better. It just baffles me that we waited that 10 minutes to make that change. I I, I agree. I don't see why we didn't bring the likes of Duke on, even a Matty Kennedy, Leighton Clarkson at halftime along with Connor Barron to, because Connor Barron, I think for me, did a very good job in that, that second half. Absolutely. Um, you know, anchored the midfield very well, um, either won the ball back or distributed it out into the wide areas yeah. very effectively until, as you say, they wanted to cut back in. But as a forward unit, we, mm-hmm. we gained that momentum once both Duke and Clarkson came on. The United players had more than one player to think about. And OK, we didn't we didn't score, which obviously is is the most important thing. But we actually began to look threatening for Once. about 10, 15 minutes. And, you know, had the goal came, who knows what would have happened. I certainly think the United heads would have maybe dropped a little bit. There would have been some doubt creeping in given their home form. But that wasn't to be. But, yeah, the intensity and, and drive was there. But you can't you can't win games or or pull yourself back in in 35 minutes we, we just kept giving ourselves too much to do absolutely i think clarkson's performance Barnes' performance and and the latter getting through injury free and uh, probably the only positives from from the game 
Yeah. It's all, I mean, Jim Goodwin made a big song and dance where I want to have lots of players with quality as options from the bench where there's no drop off from from those starting. If you do make the change, yeah. I mean, left it too long. As I said, Matty Kennedy did not come off the bench. Yeah. Uh, Shaden Morris left until six minutes to go as well as Christian Ramirez. When you're losing, first of all, 2-0 and then it gets even worse later on, why is it not quicker to make that change if you know they are of that quality and clearly those out there are not up to it on that specific day? Yeah, I, I just, I, I don't, I didn't get the substitutions that we made because at one point as well, when late when Duke came on for Hayden, it was almost like we were away to take the goal kick and save Duke. And I was like, if he takes that goal kick, Callum is going to lose his shit, let alone me, because that is just wasted another mm-hmm. substitution opportunity. Yeah. Thankfully, we managed to avoid that catastrophe. I've just wasted but, time instead of a substitution. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, I mean, we had a couple of half chances. Mm. Um, Jaden Richardson eventually got a shot away, blocked by a hand. Penalty, surely, but the rule states that because it's a supporting arm, it shouldn't be a penalty. What a load of nonsense. I, I was aware of that at the time. Um, didn't stop my anger because it's a fucking stupid rule. <laughs> But unfortunately, that is the rule. Still, in my view, should absolutely be a penalty. Whoever pushes pens and decides to write that bloody ruling, I would like to have a word with because it stops the ball getting through on goal, regardless if it's a sporting arm or not. First of all, don't really know how what he was doing because he sort of bum-slided, bum-shuffled, yeah. really know what was going on. <laughs> but then he is blocked by his, his arm. Regardless, shouldn't have got to that stage because when that ball comes across to Jane Richardson, Whack it towards goal. I mean, I've got no faith that he's probably at the target. No. But drill it, get your head over the ball. Might take a deflection, might be turned in off an Aberdeen player. Whatever, might just go straight through and hit the back of the net. But he's taking a touch. And even once he's taking a touch, he then takes an age to eventually yeah. toe poke it. And I'm not even sure if it's going on target or not. Ridiculous. Oh, I mean, that effort, I don't know what effort summed up our day more. That inability to get the ball out his feet from Jaden Richardson or Vinny at the back post previous going for a diving header. I'm not sure why he's going with his head for that that situation and it completely going underneath him. Yeah. I mean I think I think he had to throw himself at it, but my pal Nathan was at the game did make the point that it didn't have to be his head though that he went yeah. I can understand what he's trying to do. But just regardless of what you're doing, make sure you get a decent connection. It doesn't come off, whatever. But just sort of skiffed him. And then that was that. Pathetic. And then there's also Boyan Miofsky chance. Took it well on his chest as well to take it down. Once he's done that, Sean the composer to take it down. Wellies it over the bar. Uh, mm-hmm. Another one where Dungeon United admittedly you know, did well to get the block in. Um, yeah. Boyan Miofsky, however, I think maybe took slightly too long. Just get the shot off. Same as Jaden Richardson. Yeah. It just it just summed up our day really, and when you have one penalty turned down by Willie Collum, you just know that there's going to be a penalty in the game, and that is what happened as United once again, you know, cut through us with relative ease, and once again this time down our right hand side, Craig Sibold involved again, both him and Jamie McGrath seemingly turning into. Um, Xavi and Busquets since we didn't play our own Busquets and you know 
you don't think it's a penalty, but both of us, I think, at the time, have no complaints that, that yeah. Willie Collin pointed to the spot. I thought it was clear, but yeah. in hindsight, having watched sports scene, having watched the replay back, I thought it was clear because Craig Sibbald jumps into Ross McCrory and makes it look like he's been fouled. And there was one of them earlier in the, in the, in the game in the first half where someone just sort of shoved their body in and jumped immediately, so it looked mm. like it was a foul. That's if you make the contact, if you force the contact and then go down, that's not a penalty because yeah. you've made the contact, you've made it happen and cheated to, to quote Jim Goodwin. Not about that'll this, be please don't a come six game ban coming up for you from the podcast. <laughs> I mean, if it if it also works for the football, fucking good going on that last display. Um, but yeah, as I said, no complaints at the time. Jamie McGrath, who Maybe it was a message to Jim Goodwin after, obviously, us not signing him as he seemed to stroll that game for Dungeon United and tucked away the penalty um, cue my exodus from the game and along with a lot of other people. I mean, um, I'd, I'd already gone up to the back and looked at, watched it through the, the gap in the shed yeah. and then, yeah, was gone. Back up the and, road, and you know, you know, some people will have stayed to the better end. I mean, fair Dude, play probably. if that's for you um but i just if the players aren't willing to put in the effort why should we stay and, and, and watch that and unfortunately we we have to watch sports scene to see everything that happens which meant that we had to see the comedy own goal from ross mccrory comedy maybe painful absolutely what the fuck is going on speak to each other I mean, I don't know where Kel Rose is going in the first place. He stands after Ross McCrory's headed it past him to signal that he's shouted or something. But if he's trying to tell Ross McCrory that he was coming to claim that ball, I'm sorry, Keller, but you are again nowhere near that ball. Yeah. And then, yeah, it just, I mean, why do these things always happen to us at Tannadice as well? Or against Dungeon United, we always seem to do yeah. something really fucking stupid. Yeah, I mean, flashbacks of Ash Taylor on his debut in that 3-0 game at, at Pataudry. I remember that one very clearly. Um, I mean, between Joseph Bajanovic, uh, Joe Hart, Ross McCrory, Keller Rose and Craig Gordon in the past few weeks, really good advert for um, Scottish football right now. Fantastic. Yeah, well, you could also throw in Boyan Miowski and Barry Mackay's misses as well. Oh, yeah, true. <laughs> I mean, fantastic stuff. It really, really is. <sighs> Keller Rose's positioning, kind of not sure what he's doing, because if he stays, absolutely fine. Ross McCrory makes the header very easily, goes back to him. If he goes, he's not going to collect it himself, but that's still fine if he communicates properly that he's there. So just flick it back. No problem. Nice and easy. Don't direct it towards goal. Just help it on. That's fine. Worst comes to worst, goes for a corner. Which, to be fair, probably resulted in the fourth goal anyway. But regardless, mm-hmm. I mean, Ross McCrory looks looks appalled with himself. So maybe he did get the shout. But it has to be far more clear and far more early than that. Because he was already there. It's not like he was on the way to that point. He was already there when McCrory makes the header. Just calamitous. I'm so glad I didn't see it at the time. And I was able to watch it when the sort of the red mist had sort of ascended rather than descending as it was at the time. Um, but no, not great at all. And they'll need to uh, they'll need to work on that uh, for those kind of situations because 
Oh, it was embarrassing. Yeah, it was uh, really, really not good at all round. And kind of, again, to, to sum up what had been a shit show was really um, done there by, by Ross McCrory. And we really put ourselves in a, in a difficult position going into this, this weekend because you made a point to me on WhatsApp this morning that this game against Hearts coming up really now takes on a significant importance. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean... Look at the teams that perhaps at the start of the season you'd expect to be up and around um, in top six, anyway, challenging for Europe. I'll include Dundee United in that given pre-match and maybe Liam Fox turns it around given their squad. They've got some decent players in there. Lost to Motherwell at home. Fantastic. Um, we beat St Mirren. Okay, fair enough. But they had 10 men. We were helped massively by that and the penalty. Then lose to Hibernian at Easter Road again okay maybe the penalty plays a bit of a part in that but regardless in that first half performance wasn't very good and then we go to Tannadice 4-0 away this game against Hearts is now massive because you'll expect them to be up there they'll probably end up finishing third if they get things together a little bit more in the league they'll probably finish third and certainly they'll be in the European spots this is now massive because if we now lose this then that is what Four of the games um, uh, that we've been involved in against teams that you probably expect to be up there and challenging mm. will have won one thanks to help, massively helped by a penalty and a red card. It's massive. Otherwise, pressure will seriously be on. Yeah. And, you know, we've already lost to Celtic as well, who have, of course, be in the, the top six as well. Um, Ross County, of course, were top six last season, drop points them. Just look at the way Motherwell dispatched of them in midweek as well, probably makes the drop points up in Dingwall e- even worse. There is so much pressure on this game, um, you know, given that Hearts could potentially go four points clear of us. Um, C- Celtic play Hibs this weekend as well, so it's a chance, hopefully, to to gain some ground on Hibs, albeit they do play their game in hand against Dungeon United tonight at time of recording, because we're recording this on Tuesday. Um, so, you know, maybe that will counter any points that they do pick up against Dungeon United. But as a point that I make in the, the next segment of the show, previewing the game with uh, Laurie Dunsire from Scars Around the Funnel, is that currently 10 points separate third and 10th the league is so tight and you know a couple of bad results one which we've just had at the weekend but given who we've got to face in the league in the next three games we could suddenly go from looking up the league to very quickly looking over our shoulders once again and Calum I don't know how you feel on this but there was a point made to me by uh, one of the older guys at work who said that Aberdeen are almost back in a position of normality you know outside for maybe a generation of fans um, outside of Derek McInnes and Jimmy Calderwood Aberdeen have always kind of been that mid-table team with trying to to push on and get into third fourth certainly in my time watching Aberdeen outside those two managers that's where Aberdeen's been we're almost back at that point now obviously last season was that experiment uh, and Jim Goodwin's Things are just not quite clicking into gear, certainly away from home. Is there that kind of, I don't really know the right word, sense that we've almost kind of gone back into being a mid-table team just now? We've just not quite 
hit the heights of being where the, mm. the fan expectation is based on what we've had over the last five to ten years? I think possibly. It was something uh, Nathan said to me post-match. He's like, is this what it's like to just be one of those teams that just exists there, doing not much, uh, occasionally <laughs> get a good result, might qualify for Europe every now and then, but that's it. She said, is that what it's like? Is this what it feels like? Mm. Yeah, <laughs> basically. Yeah. I started to feel that way. And it's when you mention that statistic about the points between third and tenth, sounds extremely similar to how it was last season. And we started right. slowly, slowly, slowly slipping with the exception of a couple decent results here and there. You know, that one week in particular where we got results against Hearts, Hibs and Rangers. Mm-hmm. It Without that, it would have been way worse. And it started feeling a little bit similar. If we don't sort of get things together and develop that consistency, it, it could be very much worrying. And I understand, you know, it is a lot of new players, the gelling, probably still players in there that Jim Goodman's not necessarily too happy with and might not be here if Jim Goodman is here, you know, for example, until the end of his contract. Mm. Still work to be done, but it's a lot of players that we've spent a decent amount of money on. It has to be better than last season. Yeah, I mean, top six pushing for Europe. It has to be. Yeah, I mean, yeah, 100%. And I mean, you know, we have spent money on players, Bojan, Ramadani, Jaden Richardson was a, a very good sum and a very long contract as well um, for, for him. So there has been money invested into this team. You know, Cormac's put his money forward and we have invested in the team. And yeah, I do appreciate that people do have that sense that, that Jim Goodwin should be afforded the time the players mm-hmm. need to gel. But fans... And I'm sure chairman alike will not stand for continuous performances like what we've seen at the weekend and more so the results. And we've now put ourselves under pressure going into this weekend uh, and a defeat at the weekend would then heighten the the importance of that cup quarter final that we that we face Mm -hmm. um, a a week tomorrow um, or a week today for those of you that are tuning in when the episode is released. But also, Callum, a big problem, I think, from what I saw at the weekend as well, is are we now going to be adversely affected by the fact that Jim Goodwin is not on the touchline for the rest of the month? Obviously, potentially, given the fact that the the, the ban that he has been um, subjected to, which is a, an automatic six-game ban with two suspended um, for his comments on Ryan Porteous, what was your thoughts on that ban, first of all? <laughs> a lot of absolute shite. I mean, certainly when you compare it to some other things, which I know you will get onto, it seems absolutely ridiculous. I don't think he did himself any favours by admitting uh, in an interview for all to see that he'd said something pre-match about, and it's been deemed as influencing the official mm. um, or attempting to influence the official. I don't think that's you know helped his case at all. I still think six with a further two suspended is extremely, extremely excessive. And I think it was clear to see that on Saturday, although, you know, the result might have been the same. I can guarantee the performance and the scoreline probably wouldn't have been uh, that had Jim Goodwin been there. And uh, it is worrying because we're looking to develop that sort of consistency um, rather than a good result one week, a terrible one the next. That's very hard when the manager is not on the touchline. And as we saw at the Dunyan game, seemingly... No, no clear form between um, of communication between the assistant manager and the manager. Not well, 
well, that's what it seemed like to us. But if there was communication between oh. the two, then fuck me, it's going to be a long month. But you know, to put into context, Jim Goodwin getting a six-game straight-up ban. Alexander Tonev got seven games for his um, alleged racism against Shea Logan. You know, that's a one-game difference from calling somebody a cheat to whatever the words that Tonev used against Shea Logan were. It doesn't quite stack up, does it? I mean, in, in short, no. <laughs> when you put it like that, it's, it is ridiculous. Um, absolutely. I think six is excessive regardless uh, of the two suspended and when you compare it with, with the other things. And, and there's other uh, incidents as well. I mean, Lafferty, I, I know this is in the notes, but I'm just going to say it now. Lafferty, you know, I, I think he's has he now been given ten games, or is he still rumored? No, it's still rumored. Obviously, he played at the weekend as well, so we've played both against midweek against St Johnson and played on Sunday against well, Hearts. It's still it just a potential ten game ban. That's for not his. even been actioned yet. When nope. the video's there for everyone to see, and it's a potential ten game game ban. He's just being allowed to play. I mean, potentially could be, um having uh, positive results on Kamara's performance. Well, he did. He obviously scored at the weekend as well. So, exactly. you know, helped them gain a, gain a point as well. You know, on Kyle Lafferty as well, had a two-game ban previously for feigning his headbutt um, with incident with Charlie Mulgrew. You yeah. look to, to Lee Griffiths, who got a three-game ban for kicking a, a smoke bomb back into the crowd during it's, his it's time at Dundee. Far more ridiculous than calling Ryan Poitiers a cheat, by the way. Yeah. And then, you know, to kind of put into context now, the point you made there about Jim Goodwin kind of openly admitting he spoke to the referee. That was stupid. Um, you know, probably wasn't Jim Goodwin's smartest move. Um, I mean, we could put a lot of things that Jim Goodwin says in front of camera down as not a smartest move based on um, what we're seeing just now. But, you know, he also, to quote Jim Goodwin, because I went back and listened to his Red TV interview, he said, Porteous has done what he does very well and bought his team a penalty. So once again, naming the player and naming the action that, that he has done. Mm. Now, a lot of people also draw contrast to what Robbie Nielsen said last season when Lewis Ferguson won a penalty at Tynecastle. Now, Robbie Nielsen didn't face any retrospective action from the SFA, which has obviously caused a lot of outrage amongst the Aberdeen support this week on the back of Jim Goodwin's ban. Now, Robbie Nielsen doesn't actually name mm. Lewis individually. His quote was, Aberdeen created nothing in the game apart from somebody diving like that to try to get the penalty. It's obvious who he's speaking about, mm -hmm. but never names Lewis Ferguson. He goes on to say, they could they could have gone and got something out of the game after blatant cheating. Mm. So he never names the player, never says that that's what someone does often. Mm. So Robbie Nielsen was maybe a bit more savvy yeah. compared to Jim Goodwin. Um, however, Nielsen has himself previously received bans for falling foul of the referee. He had a two-game ban after getting sent off after Hearts lost 3-2 at Tynecastle to Wraith Rovers <laughs> for a full-time rant in the direction of John Beaton. I mean, who doesn't get wound up by John Beaton? and then received a further one-game ban for getting sent off at Ibrox after his protestations at bookings received to his player because he believed that there should have been red cards involved. So he himself has not, you know, he has fallen foul of the law, but for something that 
Jim Goodwin has been slapped with a six-game ban for. Mm. He maybe cunningly managed to avoid it. But there is one manager that has also received similarly lengthy ban from the touchline. The ever-popular Dick Campbell has also received a lengthy touchline touchline ban. His was back in 2018. Now, I didn't actually realise this incident was that long ago. It was a seven-game ban from the infamous incident when he stormed the pitch at Somerset Park, confronting the referee. Only five of those games were to be served immediately. Two of them were suspended. So what I'm saying here is Jim Goodwin would have been better running onto the pitch and confronting the referee around the decision rather than going into the media and calling Ryan Porteous a cheat. I mean, <laughs> when you put it like that, it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, looking back at Nielsen, I think, yeah, he absolutely is more selective with his, with his language. However, everybody knows what he's alluding to. The fact he didn't serve anything at all is maybe be a, a bit ridiculous when you consider the length that Goodwin got. If they yeah. both got nothing, no issue, fair enough. If Goodwin got maybe a slightly lesser one, given how close it was, I suppose, to what Nielsen said, more understandable. But no, and I think for the reasons you've highlighted, that sort of highlights, no, that emphasises Goodwin's hot-headedness streak that we perhaps saw more as a player that clearly not yet grown out of because had he, you know, taken a moment and maybe chose his words a little bit better, we wouldn't be in this situation and we maybe wouldn't have lost 4-0 at times. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, had Jim Goodwin been slapped with a couple of game ban, you know, people would have probably still got their knickers in a twist, but there wouldn't have been the amount of uproar that that we've we've seen. I mean, you know, Dick Campbell also got an eight game ban later in 2018 as well because something that Jim Goodwin will need to be careful for. It was breaching protocol of staff expelled to the technical area. So I think he'd been sent off and then was communicating with somebody in a way he shouldn't have been doing. So received a six game ban for that. Um, and the two games that were suspended um, from his pitch invasion were, were added on to that. So he spent a lot of the 2018 um, in the stands. Hopefully Jim Goodwin doesn't adapt that mentality for the rest of 2022. Um, but yeah, I just think that given the importance of the games coming up, Hearts, Partick, Motherwell, who, you know, their record against us is well spoken about. Hmm. And then of course that trip to Ibrox at the end of the month. These are games where you need your manager on the touchline. And yeah, it's concerning that he's not going to be there unless of course that appeal is successful. Yeah, absolutely massively. And it's going into as we said, an absolutely huge game against Hearts. Yeah, an absolutely huge game against Hearts, which I was delighted to be joined by Laurie Dunsire from the Scarfs Around the Funnel, or some of you might recognise him from Hearts TV, to preview the game because, unfortunately, Terrace TV's Robert Borthwick is globetrotting to Florence to watch Hearts in Europe. So for the Hearts preview, I am delighted to be joined by Scarfs Around the Funnel podcaster and Familiar voice to some of you, um, both of a Hearts and maybe Aberdeen Persuasion from recent years over at pay-per-view options. It's Hearts TV commentator, Laurie Dunsire. Laurie, welcome to the show. Hello, thanks for having me on, Glenn. Pleasure to be here. Yes, an able deputy because Robert Borthwick um, is travelling around the world, um, so he makes himself out to be. But pleasure to have you on, Laurie. Um, we're looking ahead to the, the weekend's game where Hearts make the trip to Pataudry after, of course, um, you'll be coming back from Florence and 
pretty much every other um, person of a heart's persuasion seems to be making the pilgrimage to Italy this midweek. But we'll we'll come on to the game itself in a little while. What I want to do is kind of take you back to the summer, obviously. Yes, we all know you're in Europe. You had a good season last season, but but Hearts strengthened and, and strengthened well. What did you make of the the recruitment that Hearts put in place this summer? Uh, just first of all, yeah, I'm I'm glad to be an able deputy for Rob. He is <laughs> he is the more famous of our uh, commentary duo. I'll, I'll begrudgingly give him that. In terms of the summer transfer window, I was reasonably happy with what we did. I, I think a few Hearts fans at this point. We'll maybe be using hindsight in different ways and deciding that maybe we haven't done as well as we first thought, but we didn't go too mad. I mean, in terms of who we lost, John Souter was really the big one that was, I suppose, a key player that we lost, but we knew that from a few months before the season ended. Ellis Sims was on loan from Everton, but I don't think many Hearts fans really believed we were going to be able to retain his services. So we didn't lose too many players. And one thing I was really keen for us to do was to try and build a bit of momentum and consistency in the team. And I always refer back to to Aberdeen's best spell in recent years under Dennett McInnes, where I thought one of the key elements of of that success was not changing the team an awful lot and mm-hmm. keeping a, a solid core. And <laughs> we could speak about a lot of similarities with Dennett McInnes and Robbie Nielsen and how Aberdeen and Hearts fans feel about those two managers. <laughs> but in terms of who we brought in, you know, Kai Rolls was a good one from the Australian market just broke into the Australian national team and I think he looked very solid before he very sadly got injured. Uh, Lewis Nielsen, a bit of a project from Dundee United. Um, Alex Cochran, we knew his abilities on loan from Brighton last season. I was quite surprised there was some English championship interest, but we managed to retain him for a six-figure sum. Uh, George Grant from Peterborough United, again, someone who maybe just couldn't quite cut it in the English Championship, but was very good at League One. So that's often a decent market, I think. Mm-hmm. Both of our clubs, I think, have probably got decent um, experience in that sort of level. Yeah. Alan Forrest, I've been very pleased with. I thought he was maybe signed as more of a squad player, but he's actually been one of our most impressive attacking players. His movement, his speed, his pace, it's been very impressive. I've been quite pleased with him. Lawrence Shanklin, I suppose, is one of the most recognisable names. And although they Every transfer fee these days is undisclosed, isn't it? But talk Mm -hmm. of the best part of half a million spent on him. And I think he's a known quantity. Like many, when I look at his Dundee United figures, if you look at them on the face of it, sometimes you may be put off a little. But when you speak to Dundee United fans, when I've read a bit of analysis, because I wasn't watching full Dundee United games, apparently he was played deep. He was pushed out wide. Under Mickey Mellon, there was not many chances for Lawrence Shanklin to work with. And the same when he went to Belgium, he was often pushed out wide. Apparently he was playing wing back for a period as well in a team that were struggling in that division. So I think when you delve deeper, it was quite a good signing at this level. And I've been pleased with his contribution also. And I mean, we've made a few signings, but Xander Clark, a good bit of business on a free after the window had closed because we will have to look to replace Craig Gordon at some point in the near future. And very recently, I think Robert Snodgrass, who did very well at the weekend against Kilmarnock, um, he was signed because he was one of the players available after the window would close and we'd ran out of time. But this, at the same time, you know, despite being 35, we know he's a quality player. He won't have the legs anymore. And I think he's already already had a wee moan about having to play 90 minutes on um, on Kilmarnock's uh, astral surface. But he's he's got quality, he's got a good range of passing, he's technically very good, so a good squad player. I think the concern from a Hearts perspective, one is maybe not signing another defensive option, mm. albeit, albeit 
can you really predict that you'd lose both? We lost our first, we, we wanted to start the season with the back three and all three of those players ended up being out at the start of the season. Um, two of them still out. Kai Rolls out for a little while longer. Craig Halkett has been out for the last few weeks. It's hard to be too critical of the management when you end up losing three defenders on a regular basis who would have been yeah. your starting three. I think attacking-wise is a problem for me. I, th- I think even before Liam Boyce got injured, we didn't have many other options bar him who could play that sort of link role between midfield and attack because he often plays as a nine and a ten, basically. Mm. And, and although fans will moan about maybe the fact he doesn't finish as much chances as he should, he plays such a key role in getting hearts up the field and he played a key role in us last season and it's and it showed since he's been injured that we've struggled maybe to create the chances that we were before so I think that's where there's a bit of an issue we didn't sign another attacking player to help him we ended up getting Stephen Humphreys in on loan late in the window um, mm-hmm. but not the same sort of option he's a to me he's a kind of out and out striker a physical striker which I think could be useful in certain ways but he doesn't offer the same option as Liam Boyce yeah uh, so that was probably a lot more detail than you wanted on Hearts transfer window, but there you go. <laughs> yeah, and well, it's interesting that you pick up on kind of that consistency in trying to to build kind of similar squads. The the parallels you draw to to Derek McInnes's um, kind of successful period at, at the club, and I suppose what Robbie Nielsen was trying to do this season was just kind of add that bit of quality to the the squad that he already has, and. It's quite interesting to hear you say that you feel that you're maybe lacking in the attacking sense because it, it certainly seems that that Hearts do have an abundance of attacking options. And yeah, Alan Forrest for me has been probably a, a surprise package in terms of how well he's hit the ground running at Tynecastle. But for me as well, Lawrence Shanklin, I suppose, an interesting one ahead of this fixture as well, of course, coming back to Pataudry. Didn't have the best of times last season at Dungeon United, as, um, well, previous season at Dungeon United, as you said, under Mickey Mellon. And didn't really kind of hit the heights, but former players coming to Pataudry, we saw Ash Taylor do that the other week. Lawrence Shanklin in, in good form, I think it's fair to say from a heart's point of view, although, uh, you know, gone a couple of games without scoring and um, was very unselfish uh, at the weekend, although Barry Mackay very much fluffed his lines. But, but yeah, I think for me, Lawrence Shanklin has been a surprise how well he's done at hearts. Um, you know, I made it very public in one of the group chats to a couple of Hearts fans that might be tuning in. Um, Greg Playfair and, and Graham Duthie, if you're tuning in, you know what my thoughts were on on Hearts signing Lawrence Shankland. I thought he'd be a bit of a dud, but um, he's proving a few people wrong. Were there, were there some doubters amongst the Hearts support around the signing of Lawrence Shankland? Oh, there's always doubters. Um, <laughs> it doesn't matter who we sign Hearts fans. Yeah, there'll, there'll always be doubts about who, who we bring in. Uh, yeah, I, and I mean, I think one of the issues is just how we adapt our play. And I think Shanklin has done well, but sometimes he's not getting an awful lot to work with. And you are right, and I think we'll talk about it, because ironically, after what I've said, when I look at the two teams ahead of next Sunday's game, I think they're both missing, or, well, Hearts maybe missing Aberdeen, maybe just haven't got at the moment mm. a strong a strong backline and maybe a strong spine to the yeah. team. But there's lots of attacking options that could work. I think the big problem is since Liam Boyce has been out, Hearts haven't figured out the best way to use their players because we can't play the same way we were last season. We were very solid at the back. We had an excellent backline, consistent backline, so we weren't conceding many goals. And we had Liam Boyce to link the play. So we were playing a lot of patient passing football up the park and Liam Boyce was key to then pushing us into the final third. Mm. Since he's been out, there's been a lot of pedestrian football and not enough penetration in the final third. 
And at the same time, we've not been as strong at the back. So we've been conceding more goals. So that's my concern with Hearts and with Robbie Nielsen this season is adapting to the players we've got missing. To me, I think we should be utilising the likes of Shankland and the player I mentioned, Humphreys, a bit more as Mm -hmm. a pairing and playing a bit more direct. I mean, if you saw the highlights of our game against Kilmarnock, we we started the game well, but soon as we went behind the confidence the, the confidence has been sapped from the players a little bit and they had their heads down but when we managed to snatch a goal back which was from a back to front ball from Robert Snodgrass yeah great ball was yeah we got back into it and we when we pushed Stephen Humphreys up there and it gave Kilmarnock a bit more problems because they had two strikers to deal with so I think that's our main issue is trying to find the best way to play them all and and Barry Mackay was wonderful last season He's been very off it in the last few weeks. And that miss that you mentioned mm. probably summed it up. I think um, <laughs> as misses go, I think Barry Mackay and uh, Miofsky will be um, probably in competition with one another to try and get worst <laughs> miss of the weekend <laughs> yeah. um, after his after he fluffed his lines <laughs> against Dundee United. But that sums him up just now because he didn't look confident. I mean, it was an open goal six yards out and he just didn't even look confident of finishing that. Um, and he's mm-hmm. just been off the pace a little bit at the moment, which is a concern. It's one of these moments, and you'll probably say the same about some of your players under Jim Goodwin. Yeah, Robbie doesn't seem to want to drop him because the thing is with Barry Mackay, he, he does have a spark in him. He can change a game in a moment with a great pass, but he's not performing just now. Mm-hmm. And a lot of fans are saying he probably needs to go out of the team because if he's not performing and he knows it and the fans know it, the pressure just builds. So sometimes actually taking him out of the team for a bit might be the best thing to do. Yeah, and I suppose that was something that, that myself and Callum were kind of discussing in the first part of this episode around Vicente Bizawin, a player that just doesn't seem to be performing often enough or consistently enough, but seems to be undroppable. But I think that says says more about some of our squad depth in those options. You know, Marley Watkins came in at the weekend and didn't really hit the heights in his cameo either. And obviously we've got Callum Roberts, who signed from Ross County out injured just now as well. Matty Kennedy's possibly the most obvious replacement ahead of this weekend and I'll really be interested to see what Jim Goodwin does on the on the back of of that defeat but in terms of domestically this season and um, because obviously Hearts are one of three teams that are currently crucifying the coefficient that Aberdeen did so well to try and build up and um, I just thought I'd get that in there for Robert because I know how much he loves his coefficient and um, how have you how have you you know dealt or how have you, Hearts fans viewed the, the start to the season so far? Well, there's a, a lot of pant wetting as um, a term that gets thrown about. Now, at the start of the season, and this is not just a hindsight thing for me, the start of the season, I did say in a, in a few podcasts I was on, not just ours, I think we, I thought we were going to struggle the first half of the season. I thought it would be tough for us to manage the demands of, you know, we had guaranteed group stage football. So all those games, and it's not just the games, but the fact that I was anticipating some tricky games and some heavy defeats so it's not just the energy the um the fatigue side of it but if you're doesn't matter that you're playing Fiorentina or you're playing Bashaksha here and a 3-0 and 4-0 defeat is maybe expected for a Scottish team yeah that dents your confidence even if it's against a good team yeah. um then come into the weekend so my feeling was I wanted hearts to try and get to the world cup break at least still in the running for top 3 um, mm-hmm. by top three I obviously mean third not going to get ahead of ourselves <laughs> um, so I did expect it to be a bit of a struggle I think results wise if I look at the results in terms of one drawn or lost I'm not surprised at any of them I think mm-hmm. performance wise is I've been a bit more dis- concerned a bit more disappointed at um, but at the same time I look at the league and you know 
Hibs, uh, St Mirren, Hearts, Aberdeen in the top half at the moment. I don't see the teams around us. I don't, from what I've seen of them, I don't see anyone outstanding mm-hmm. in there. Yeah. Um, you know, last season we kind of set the pace very early on. Both yourselves and Hibs were in a bit of disarray, of course, yeah. which helped us. But this season, I don't see that. Um, some Hibs fans, I know, would maybe disagree and say they're, they're brilliant, but red cards help. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes, there's two ways of looking at it as well. Although Aberdeen have, have had a few of those against yeah. <laughs> on their way also. So I, I'm quite, I think my worry would be after this very busy month for us that we get cut further adrift. But if we were within five or six points of third come the World Cup break and we can regroup, get some players back, I won't be too disappointed. But, and again, it's a similarity with Hearts and Aberdeen. I know because I had so many Aberdeen supporting friends and I, I lived up there for a lot of the time that Derek McInnes was in charge, despite the success that he brought, there was always a lot of doubters that he couldn't take them to the next level. And that's yeah. what keeps getting talked about with Hearts just now is, mm-hmm. can Robbie Nielsen take us to the next level? What is the next level for Hearts at Aberdeen? You know, if you're if you're finishing third, and you're getting to cup finals. Fair enough, we've not won one since 2012. There's, it's very difficult to get to a next level, and it's no, no it's not been since the eighties that anyone has done that. And I looked at, you know, I looked at Aberdeen in particular. I mean, I think in the last quarter of a century, which is pretty much the time I've been watching football, Aberdeen mm-hmm. have got top three six times, and five of them were under Derek McInnes back to back. And Robbie Nielsen is the only manager who's got us top three in in over a decade now. So there's there is this feeling, and I think Aberdeen and Hearts fans both suffer from this at times and I was probably one of them for a long time when I was younger <laughs> feel like we should be pushing on we should be challenging that that's the, and maybe we can one day but it, we've not done enough I think in recent history to suggest that there is a next level that we can realistically get to and you know Hearts got rid of well we didn't get rid of Robbie Nielsen left we had the Cathro project <laughs> Aberdeen, Aberdeen had the Stephen Glass, Stephen Glass project, yeah. <laughs> very similar so it is tough and I think both clubs have similar sorts of managers now. I mean, Jim Goodwin and Robbie Nielsen are sort of solid Scottish managers. They're decent man managers. Well, I thought that about Jim Goodwin. He kind of threw a few players under the bus at the end of last season. But I think they are solid at what they do. They're decent. I would be surprised if Aberdeen were terrible under Jim Goodwin. Well, but, I mean, how much how much of Saturday's game did you see? But Yeah, uh, yeah, that's what I'm getting. I mean, you've seen more of Aberdeen. I was very surprised when I saw the scoreline against Dundee United. But you, you'll know more than I will about exactly what the problems are. But at the yeah. same time, has Jim Goodwin had enough time yet? Yeah, so, and I suppose that that's yeah. kind of the, the debate just now is, has he had enough time? And it's something we've kind of looked into again in that, that first part of the show about, you know, is it too early to really judge Jim Goodwin just now? Obviously, he had the transfer window. We're going through the whole transition phase and players are still getting to know each other. But it's not really... The result, yes, was alarming. But for me, more so was was the, the level of performance that was put in. And I think, you know, the point you make about kind of hearts, I think a lot of people kind of held on to that about it was going to be difficult for hearts this season with the amount of games that were going to come in. Um, obviously you forfeited the league cup to, to Kilmarnock again at Tynecastle. Um, so we always have, lose to Kilmarnock yeah. at Tynecastle. <laughs> so you, you don't have that to worry about um, coming up in a couple of weeks, but 
it's interesting because the league is so tight. I think it's 10 points separate third to 10th uh, in the league just now. You know, um, one of Robert and the Terrace TV's favourite co- um, quotes from last season was the glob and the glob seems to almost be expanding this season. Yes. <laughs> it, is, it is interesting as well because, you know, I think the point you make about kind of the, the quality, we've not really seen anybody kind of excel. Yes, Hibs have put four wins together, but they're not, running away from anybody else in in behind and it's kind of a, an interesting point ahead of this weekend you know Aberdeen well I'm expecting not hoping expecting a, a sort of backlash and reaction to what we witnessed at Tanadice and you've got Hearts coming into this game on the back of a, a trip to Italy which some people would think well that's going to make the game easier but Hearts have actually as we discussed pre-recording, Celtic Park, aside when you made a, a load of changes for that game, have actually not lost um, after after playing in Europe on a, on a Thursday night. Both the games away from home, Motherwell, you know, you went there and really swept Motherwell aside. Not many teams will go to Fir Park, certainly not Aberdeen, and dispatch of Motherwell with that relative ease. And then obviously Sunday as well, making four changes, a makeshift defence as well. And coming back from from two 0 down with a with a last minute um, stunning equaliser from Nathaniel Atkinson as well. So for me, this game it, it is huge from an Aberdeen point of view because you know Hearts are probably that direct competition for third. Again, I know Hibs fans will want to have their say on that as well. But with that with that goal from Atkinson on Sunday, you you pulled yourselves back up above Aberdeen a, a point ahead, and you know. We spoke on the podcast before the weekend's game against Dungeon United that it was really crucial to kind of be going into this game against Hearts six from six. Unfortunately, we did a typical Aberdeen and, and didn't get there. But, you know, defeat this weekend would see us fall, you know, further behind um, Hearts and, you know, Hibs as well. And we can't really afford to to give gaps when we've then got a tricky game away to Motherwell, you know, our record against them is well spoken about before ending the month against Rangers as well. We really need to get back to putting points on the board and kind of staying on the heels, kind of probably similar viewpoint. Maybe some Aberdeen fans have about what you said about getting to that November world cup break and kind of assessing at, at that point. Yeah, it's a really tough one because if you gave me a draw right now on Sunday, I would absolutely take it. Um, mm. And I mean, this is a this is a game that does not favour the away team. This fixture, fourteen <laughs> meetings without an away winner. Hearts have lost five at Pataudry. They're winless in eight. We've not won there since Robbie Nielsen was last at Hearts as manager's first spell, which was a pointless Thursday night game in <laughs> May, uh, which meant absolutely nothing for both clubs. I think mm. uh, so, and it does. It's not a fixture that tends to favour. Hearts or Aberdeen when they're the away side. Um, Robbie Nielsen doesn't doesn't always approach away games with the same aggression and positivity that Hearts fans would want him to, especially at Pataudry. And I think and I keep going back to McInnes. He was very similar at Tynecastle. Didn't matter if Aberdeen were above Hearts, mm. you tend to go to Tynecastle like, oh, we've got to come with a bit of trepidation, play a little bit more defensive. Yeah. Uh, so Thursday will be tricky. Whatever happens on Thursday, I mean. Uh, Fiorentina is a kind of after the home game I think any real hope that we might have had of trying to get out of the scoop despite it still being possible on paper mm. is out the window you know we're playing away to a Serie A side um, yeah. so Thursday I'm not too fussed about result wise I obviously hope we don't get completely mm. embarrassed yeah. but 
Sunday's a big one. So we'll be a bit leggy from that. Robbie will probably not want to play an aggressive game because of that, um, mm-hmm. even if he might have not done that anyway. So it's a hard one to to gauge because my concern with us just now is because of our defensive issues with players missing, I think we're better to try and actually play on the front foot because we can't rely on the back line to, to keep a clean sheet just now. I, on Sunday, not Thursday. Uh, yeah, on yeah. Sunday I should say sorry. But Audrey, I my feeling would be it would be better to play try and play an attacking game. We'll also we're also missing our two ball winners in the centre. Benny Beningham is a long term injury and Cami Devlin suspended. So I think from what you've said as well about Aberdeen, also a little bit weak at the back from what I've seen a lot of errors in there. Mm-hmm. I don't think your new captain is overly impressing at the moment. Um yeah. some problems maybe at right back as well, from what I've seen in a few clips. Yeah. So some weaknesses there so I think Hearts would be better to play on the front foot and Aberdeen will probably think the same thing because yeah. of the exact same reasons will Aberdeen have more energy than Hearts to try and play with that kind of tempo I would suggest yes which is a very long-winded way of me explaining why I would take a point right now yeah. however both teams have a lot of flaws at the moment for kind of different reasons so mm. I wouldn't want to call Sunday at all because Hearts. I feel a draw would have most Hearts and Aberdeen fans annoyed. <laughs> I oh, think that would. <laughs> yeah, it's funny when you said you'd bite your hand off at a draw. I'm thinking back to a conversation I had with uh, a, a listener of the show, Jonathan Main, and um, where I said that the bare minimum I'm expecting from Saturday is three point. Uh, sorry, Sunday is three points to to make up for the hurt. And you know the conversation was about where you know, that probably still wouldn't even make up for, for what we had to witness. So yeah, I'd hate to think what his thoughts would have been on a draw, but I'm <laughs> sure he'll, he'll let us know in the, in the replies to, to the show. But uh, one thing's for sure, there's definitely been goals guaranteed at Pataudry. So I'm looking forward to another five goals um, on show. And certainly, you know, with the talk of defences, I think something that could be guaranteed this weekend is goals. Um, I suppose for from a heart's point of view as well, just coming through Thursday night unscathed, given your injury concerns, especially around the back line, is going to be the utmost priority, as you said. Obviously not getting embarrassed, but trying not to pick up more injuries, I suppose, is, is paramount ahead of, as you said, is what's already been a busy month. Yeah, and I think Craig Halkett is the big miss at the moment who could potentially be back. We've, he's been struggling with a couple of different injuries and we keep being, getting told he's should be back next game, but then he's not. Next game, he should should be back. If he's not 100% for Thursday, I wouldn't want to risk him. Uh, he's a real miss because at the moment, you know, as I mentioned on Saturday, we had two left-backs, basically centre-back. Stephen Kingsley's a great player, either at left-back mm-hmm. or at left-centre-back. Yeah, But playing at right-centre-back in a two or centre-back alongside a 19-year-old who's got no experience, it's, mm-hmm. been leaving, it's been leaving him exposed as well. So we need Craig Halkett back, especially with Miofsky, who's who's been quite potent for Aberdeen this season. And I know there's been some criticism of his game beyond that. Yeah. Um, you think Christian Ramirez might get thrown in? That would be an interesting story after um, <laughs> he, he wanted that move to Hearts. <laughs> yeah, well, did he want the move to Hearts or was it just his agent? I mean, would Hearts fans have wanted Christian Ramirez? Oh, probably not. But no, I, th- <laughs> I, I actually think a few would have, would have taken that. I, I mean... That's what I get it's a bit frustrating with Robbie Nielsen. So Stephen Humphreys, who you probably haven't seen an awful lot of, you maybe saw his goal against Kilmarnock. Yeah. I've, quite, I've quite liked the look of him in recent weeks and he gives us something different and I think it would get the best out of Shanklin as well to give him a partner. So I don't mm-hmm. know if Ramirez was also going to be that option to have a kind of another option as, a, as an out-and-out forward, someone who's decent in the air. 
So Humphreys could be an interesting one. He's coming onto a game just now. And if we can actually give him a bit of game time as a forward up front, because he tends to be played as the three just now on the wide wide right of a three with mm-hmm. Shankland, the main forward, then that could be useful for us. But um, yeah, I, I look at the two teams and I, I've not seen enough of Aberdeen this season to give a deep assessment of a lot of their new signings. Yeah. But certainly my friends who are Aberdeen supporters have suggested there's been some good wide additions, some decent attacking additions, but spine of the team defensively still looks a bit short. Um, yeah. So yeah, maybe a five goal thriller is is inevitable. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, Christian Miras is an interesting one because, you know, fans were singing his name on on Saturday, maybe wanting him to, to enter the fray earlier than he did with five minutes to go and four nil down. But, you know... I've been one that said I would have liked to see both him and Mayovsky work together up top. I think, you know, he is a proven goal scorer. Mayovsky is potent to, to is what you said, especially at home. Obviously, there's been some critics of his away performances this season, but, you know, he's still a, certainly a work in progress, um, but, you know, a phenomenal start so far this season. But why not try, try two up top? But I suppose the issue is our midfield's quite packed. It's it's who do you sacrifice? And right now, there is a lot of question marks around that midfield. As I said, Marley Watkins came in at the weekend and, and didn't really impress Bazao. And there's, again, a lot of criticism because for me, he really flatters to deceive. Um, he has maybe one spark, but for large parts, does very little for me. Um, so again, question marks for me around whether or not he plays this weekend. The biggest question mark, um, and I'm sure your Aberdeen supporting friends have kind of picked up on that, is, is the right back area. Um, we signed Jaden Richardson um, from Notts County, a long term deal, paid a lot of money for him. And he's good going forward, but defensively, which the Notts County fans told us about when, when we signed him, he has a lot of work to do. Motherwell exploited it to, to a great advantage when they came up to Pataudry and, and, and beat us. And other teams have, have had similar success. I was really critical of the way he defended at the weekend. I thought he was very lazy in terms of tracking back at times. Um, but equally on the left side, Hayden Colson picked up a booking in the first half and was almost a bit scared at times to put in a challenge because when the United players were driving at him, he knew if he, if he stuck out a leg, you know, it's, it's the he ran the risk of picking up a second booking. So I suppose when you say, you know, Hearts have that option to to hit on the front foot, it would be those wide areas they're looking to exploit. Does Jim Goodwin, I know a lot of talk on Aberdeen social media this week and certainly after the weekend will be, do we move Ross McCrory into our defence? It's been a problem that we've not been able to solve, but could him going to right back now that Connor Barron is back fit solve that kind of weak link on the right hand side Anthony Stewart yet he has I think not maybe hit the heights that people were expecting if there was an expectation there he's looked a bit nervous at times yeah I'm really not sure because I thought that scales and Stewart partnership could become good he's good in the air but on the ground it's where he's looked a bit vulnerable but that midfield will be interesting come Sunday does he bring Leighton Clarks and Connor Barron back in because both of them had good intensity in that second half but I'd also like to see Matty Kennedy because if there is any tired legs from this run of games that the hearts have had you know because it's well that'll be four games in um, near about 10 days the hearts have had I would want some of that fresh legs in to kind of hit hearts from the start try and 
really drag it out. So by the end of the game, because another question mark, I suppose, will be around the involvement of Duke. Um, we've seen him being used a lot of the time from Aberdeen as an impact sub, but do we really try and target Hearts early on uh, and make them suffer towards the end and bring on Duke? It, I think it's good that we've got options, but we've also got problems that we need to see solutions to because the problem I feel for 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 Sunday's game is I'm expecting a backlash, but if Hearts can weather any sort of storm that may come in, and I'm not just speaking off the North Sea, you know, from an <laughs> Aberdeen point of view, if Hearts weather that and frustrate the crowd, it, it could become a, a tough a tough afternoon for Aberdeen. Yeah, I, I think I think what we're probably both getting at here is that <laughs> the best approach for both teams is probably to try and take the game to the opponent because yeah. you're quite right. There'll be a bit of disgruntlement around Pataudry. And I think if Hearts start strongly and put Aberdeen on the back foot, the crowd will probably get against them, which is mm -hmm. what happens at Tynecastle as well. It's yeah. a similar feeling. If Hearts sit in and allow Aberdeen to, I guess, start playing well and dictate the play, then obviously the home fans will probably start getting behind them. So uh, I think the, the challenge will be, and you highlight the likes of Stuart, the, one of the problems with Hearts certainly we saw it spells at the weekend, the centre part of the game, the middle part of the game, where we started resorting to try to fire the ball high to Shankland, mm. not in behind, but just an aerial battle. We let Ash Taylor mop those up and it was the same at Tynecastle. Yeah. We started firing the ball long to Shankland and, um, you know, you'll know better than most that Ash Taylor is a limited <laughs> footballer, but yeah. he's, he's very tall and he's very good in the air. If you fire long balls over him to a one-on-one -on -one battle, that's what he'll mop up all day. So, And that's the same as what um, Anthony Stewart will offer just now. You know, he'll deal with most in the air, but balls in behind on the ground, he's looked a bit like Bambi on ice at times, you know, with his turning circle. And there is that kind of exploitation that both teams, both teams have got good options in the forward area. You know, I think to Barry McKay, even those confidence might be low. Alan Forrest has got pace about him. I was really impressed by... You know, Humphreys, as you, you mentioned, the way he took his goal, but also that pace to, to get in behind. Okay, you've got to, to acknowledge the quality of the ball from, from Robert Snodgrass, but that gives me a bit of concern if some of our defenders are caught up high, especially with a reluctance. Yeah. Again, on that right side, because again, another criticism, I suppose, of Bazawin has been his uh, unwillingness to kind of come back and do that defensive work. The left-hand side is very good with both Coulson and we know what Johnny Hayes can offer defensively. But again, it's that right-hand side. But equally, from, from a positive point of view for Aberdeen is we know what we can offer going forward, especially at home. We've seen how potent Boyomiovsky is. Hearts have got a makeshift defence that could be worsened come Sunday. Could be improved if Craig Halkett's fit. We don't, we don't know. But We've got players, Leighton Clarkson's proved moments of quality this season as well. Matty Kennedy's much improved from, from what we've seen previous uh, under Stephen Glass. He's kind of hopefully got over the worst of his injury problems and we're seeing the, the best of Matty Kennedy. And there are players that can cause that makeshift defence problems. We saw at the weekend Danny Armstrong um, running at the, the Hearts defence, Kyle Lafferty getting in behind as well a few times with the, the physicality. I don't quite think Majowski offers the same sort of physicality, but he does like to play on that shoulder of the last defender. And if it's an inexperienced centre back, you know, hopefully we can we can cause that that Hearts defence problems. I suppose, you know, in summary, it's which defence 
is going to be less shit on Sunday, ultimately. After all this, it's probably just going to be nil-nil and no one, no one does anything. Yeah. Yeah, not, not an awful lot of bravado from, from either side ahead of this game, but I, I just, it's a very hard one to call. My feeling would be, if you're from an Aberdeen perspective, is you want to try and take the game to us and put us under pressure early yeah. on. I have a feeling if Barry Mackay had tucked away that open goal early on at, mm. at Rugby Park, it would have been a very different game. We were lacking in confidence just now, but I think we do have talented players if we get in front. And Motherwell's an interesting one because, you know, on paper, it looks like we had a, it was not a 3-0 game. I think that was, mm. flat, the scoreline did flatter us. We were just really good in the final third with our, our final ball and our finishing. And we got quite lucky at the back, to be honest. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to commit on anything more than I would take a draw, but I wouldn't be surprised with either side winning either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I suppose as well, you know, hearts are renowned at being a physical side, hammer throwers, some may say. Although, um, which we're quite, definitely not right now. We, well, we could do with some bigger players. Yeah. Well, it's quite interesting. I mean, you do lead the league in terms of red card stats with three, but both Aberdeen and Hearts currently are the two teams with the least amount of bookings in the league. So uh, make of that what you will. But Aberdeen have been very vulnerable from set pieces this season. Do you think that's something that Robbie Nielsen will, will be looking to exploit because Hearts do have a lot of height in that team? Uh, we, we, we don't really, actually. I mean, we've actually been very vulnerable from set pieces our, ourselves at the moment. I mean, the problem is we're missing Halkett's our best player in the air. Effectively. Mm. Kingsley's decent in the air, but he's not huge. Um, we're missing Kai Rolls as well, another centre-back. So when you're playing the likes of Cochrane at centre-back, he is a left back. I think he's maybe just six foot. He's not the tallest. Um, Lewis Nielsen might play. He's reasonably tall, but inexperienced. So beyond that, I mean, when you look at our normal midfield, and we had like Sakami Devlin and mm. Benny Beningame in there, very small. Uh, our new signing, Kiwan Mertzoglu, who many Hearts fans have written off already after four games, two <laughs> of which were against Fiorentina and Rangers, but there you go, is a bit taller, a bit more physical. So... We've not done enough from set pieces in an attacking sense this season, you'll be pleased to know, but we've looked quite weak from set plays defensively. Well, hopefully so. that's something that we can work on th th <laughs> this weekend. But yeah, I think I think what we've we've established from, from this preview in a roundabout way um is that No one's confident. No one's confident, exactly. But we <laughs> we've got we've got hopes that they're you know, if both either of our teams can start on the front foot, we can cause the respective teams' problems, but equally, we know that defensively we're both vulnerable. But I think as well, I mean, it's probably is too early to say, but I think in terms of the league, it is. I think this game does carry importance. Both sets of fans, you know, certainly Aberdeen on the the back of last season, the way it, the way it went, and there's definitely a, an element. I, I know I'm definitely in that category of jealousy of the way Hearts have got the, these trips in, in Europe to, to look forward to this season, albeit um, you know maybe the results aren't going the way some Hearts fans would have hoped uh, um, so far. And you know with what third place brings, we've, we've saw for not just financially, but with the European football on offer, third place is where Aberdeen fans want to finish and I'm sure Hearts fans now that they've got the taste of European football especially in the group stages will want that again next season and this is kind of an early marker for both sides to kind of put down that claim and maybe establish themselves back 
Um, you know, certainly from our Aberdeen point of view, on the back of a poor result, get that momentum going into two tough league fixtures. Obviously, we've got the the League Cup quarter final um, before that trip to Motherwell, but we really need some some forward momentum going into the the tough period of October before that World Cup break, because you know there are question marks around Jim Goodwin, the the squad, and uh, you know a few other things as well. And a, a positive result on Sunday would really kind of re-energize this the support i'm sure it wouldn't certainly wouldn't forget about the horror that we witnessed this weekend but it would certainly go some way to helping um, and i suppose from a heart's point of view as well it would just be that opportunity to to maintain the chance or close the gap depending on what hibs do this weekend but extend the gap on a rival that that you guys would see for that third place spot absolutely and i mean october was just always going to be brutal for us is eight matches in yeah. October, um, and there's not many straightforward games. I mean, we had Rangers, Fiorentina, Kilmarnock away, Fiorentina again, Aberdeen away, Celtic. We've got a game against RFS, which we'd hopefully win at Tyne Castle, but Istanbul, Bushakcha here in Fiorentina couldn't beat them. Yeah. And then we've got a trip up to Dingwall as well. So a busy month, a tough month, you know, sometimes, and it's no disrespect to other teams, you want to have a team that you feel you should be at home in that mm. run and we've not really had that apart from maybe the European game and I don't want to jinx it but that on paper it's <laughs> yeah. a game we want to win at home so that's why maybe many people maybe say I'm Robbie Nielsen-esque and being a bit too uh, <laughs> pes- pessimistic and pragmatic a draw mm-hmm. for me would you know would keep us a point above Aberdeen and Hibs go to Celtic at the weekend I know they've got Dundee United before but that's their game in hand from mm. the, the passing of the Queen the games that were rescheduled so you'd hope at the very least you wouldn't lose ground taking away the game that they'll maybe play extra on yeah. Hibs and you'd stay above Aberdeen. A defeat puts Robbie Nielsen under a heap of pressure. Aberdeen go above us and you're quite right. It gives Jim Goodwin some positivity. So I think it's a big game for both teams. I, my feeling would be Aberdeen probably need to win it more than Hearts. However, oh, yeah. if any Hearts fans hear me saying that, they'd be screaming at me. Yeah, so hopefully not many are tuning in. But um, yeah, no, I think that's a, that is actually a, a fair point. Um, I do agree Jim Goodwin, although he won't be on the touchline um, for the game, um, does need to win this game more than than Robbie Nielsen. But it just shows the fickleness of football fans, but also the swings and roundabouts of football that a win for Aberdeen, obviously depending what happens on Thursday night as well, from a Hearts point of view, just shows how quickly pressure can swing from one manager to another. You know, I think we saw it already at the early parts of the season, what Lee Johnson was under, and now he's the next Messiah down, down Leith Way as well. So I'm sure that'll change again uh, in the in the coming weeks. But yeah, an interesting um, game awaits uh, at, at the weekend. Hopefully five goals, but the way we've talked it up, I think get your money on nil-nil. But um, Laurie, are you coming up to, to commentate on the game? I will be at Pataudry on Sunday, yes, for Hearts TV with Mr. Borthwick, your former guest as well. Yeah. So yeah, look, looking forward to it. But look, if, if we win on Thursday, then neither of us will probably make it. We'll probably still be out somewhere in Italy and yeah. we won't care. You can, you're pretty much guaranteed three points because the players will still be out as well after a, a win if that happens. Could just end the whole season if we manage to beat Fiorentina away. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure that'll make its way onto the the leaderboard, uh, your honours board, along with the ten and sixes as well. <laughs> All right, yes, we're not going to go down that route. Come on. Yeah, I know. Well, <laughs> I had to get a few jibes in there. You know, you've had the when, European football to look forward to. When did Aberdeen last win the Scottish Cup again? 
Um, before I was born, thanks very much. <laughs> <laughs> Laurie, absolute pleasure getting you on Red Tinted Glasses. Um, for those of a Hearts persuasion or Aberdeen persuasion, of course, that may want to hear what Hearts fans have to think uh, ahead of this weekend, where can they tune into Scarves Around the Funnel? Uh, you can find us on all the usual podcast apps, Apple, Spotify and the likes. Uh, we are on Twitter at Around the Funnel. Um, I don't know if we'll be talking much about the Aberdeen game this week, uh, just because of time and we've got to speak with Kamarnik and Fiorentina, etc. But um, no, yeah, you can find me, Mark Donaldson of ESPN and St. Johnson uh, midfielder slash defender Ryan McGowan as well. <laughs> um, we're chatting about hearts every now and again. I'm sure you're Aberdeen supporting listeners won't be too bothered about it but you well, never I'd like to listen if we get the win on Sunday to hear what your thoughts were probably. on the game so probably <clears throat> but no thank you very much for your time this evening uh, chatting all things hearts and looking ahead to the game hope you enjoy your trip to Italy um, and hope Do you, you really, enjoy Glenn? your trip to Aberdeen a little bit less <laughs> <laughs> fair enough thanks Glenn Thank you. Thanks again to Laurie there for his thoughts on the game this weekend. Callum, I suppose I didn't really go into it too much. I did allude to the fact that I'm expecting some changes to be made um, ahead of the game. Are, are you also of that mindset that that changes need to be made? And and if so, where do you where do you feel that needs to be done? Uh, certainly in the midfield, I would like to see one of, if not both, Clarkson or Barron come in to start from from the game. It gives us a lot more creativity, uh, attacking intent in the middle of the park, uh, able to get on the ball a lot more than sort of McCrory and Ramadani um, to make things happen. If it's both, then you'd expect McCrory to drop probably to the defence, whether that's at right back. I don't know, I've seen a lot of people calling for that or I suppose alternatively, there's also a case at centre-back which is sort of ironic given how much we've complained about him dropping (laughs) into defence but with those two both now available in midfield, I wouldn't be surprised and then I'd like to see Duke, to be honest, in one capacity or another. Uh, whether it's with Miofsky instead of Miofsky, probably won't be with uh, without him, but I won't be against uh, them both coming in. Yeah, I just wonder how much the game on Thursday night for Hearts is going to have a, an impact on our team selection. Um, you know, it was a point that I made that, there to, to, to Laurie in the, in the preview that will we try and exploit any tiredness that the Hearts have going to carry into this game obviously they've got the traveling um to and from italy it's their fourth game in 10 days i think i said to, to laurie as well so would the likes of duke on the pitch clarks and baron even kennedy as well players that have got pace can move the ball quickly and effectively because i think you know you you did make that point earlier about we're a bit lethargic in doing so moving the ball side to side against Dun united Certainly getting in behind Hearts, who themselves have a makeshift defence to look forward to this weekend, unless, of course, Craig Halkett is fit. I On right back, I think I would like to see Ross McCrory drop into there, purely because it would allow for Connor Barron and Leighton Clarkson to come into that midfield. And maybe just because a point that I saw made about it would be interesting to see how Ross McCrory and Anthony Stewart work on that right-hand side because mm. a lot of people are being critical of uh, Anthony Stewart in recent weeks. Maybe he is being affected by having to deal with the, the space left in behind from Jaden Richardson. Would our right-hand side of defence be shored up with Ross McCrory in there alongside Anthony Stewart? That's something that we maybe need to see, especially with that trip to Motherwell and Rangers on the horizon as well, where we're going to be 
probably on the back foot for spells of those two games. Absolutely, and probably this game as well. Um, coming up to, I think it, I certainly wouldn't be against it. If, if a team lines came out like that and Ross would probably look like he was going to be playing right back, I'd be pretty happy. Not only for Jaden Richardson's questionable defending at times, um, but also, as you say, probably a bit more solid protection um, for Stewart on that right-hand side. And also, equally, Ross Corey very fast, as well as, you know, Richardson as well. But if he, his positioning isn't totally wayward at times, his ability to get into cover for Stewart if he's caught out could also be a benefit, benefit too. I just... I just wish Hearts were playing away in Turkey or Latvia this time rather than Italy. That would be much better. Yeah. Well, we'll see what is to come um, from the weekend. Um, we didn't really get any memorable moments from uh, Dungeon United game. To be honest, I already marked what mine was going to be before the game had even started because it was Craig Sampson singing Stand Free whilst he was picking the balls out of the net um, during the warm-up. Yeah. I was a big fan of that. So... I think safe to say we'll we'll agree on that as being the memorable moment from the weekend. Absolutely. Noticed that. Absolutely loved it as well. Um, let's, let's hope he can do some work with Calarosa's positioning now. Yeah. And um, prediction for the weekend? Oh, fuck. Do we have to? Uh, I'm going to go 2-2. Two, two. So for the first time this season, there will not be five goals at Pataudry. I'm going to go 2-1 Aberdeen. Oh God! That's why not. We need something positive to speak about because hopefully we haven't depressed you all. Thank you to all of you that have maybe stayed for the length of this episode. We know it is a ratherly, usually unusually long episode for us, so hopefully you've bared with us. And uh, thanks very much for tuning in. Let's hope we get back on track next week. Absolutely. Like, subscribe, follow everything. RTG underscore podcast on Twitter. Get on me. <laughs> <laughs>